So this woman dies, and she goes to the pearly gates, and uh, St. Peter says, if you want to get into heaven, you have to, you have to spell. And she's like, excuse me? So like, yes, that's just the rules. You've got to be able to spell in order to get into the heaven. And she says, all right, well, what's, what do I have to spell? And Peter says, love. Love? Yeah. She's like, all right, L-O-V-E. And Peter says, all right, you're good to go. Come on in. And so she comes into, crosses the pearly gates, and he says, you know what? It's, I'm on my break. Uh, would you mind just sitting in for me while I take my break? And she's like, all right, well, what do I got to do? She says, just do the same exact thing that, that I just did with you. The next person that comes up, if anybody dies and you know, comes to the pearly gates, all you got to do is just give them the spelling test. She's like, okay, I think I could swing that. So she's sitting down, she's, you know, she's at the table, and, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, her ex-husband shows up. <laughs> and she says, Bob, what the heck are you doing here? He's like, I don't know, I just got, I just got hit by a Mack truck. It's like, well, the rule is you got to be able to spell in order to come into heaven. It's like, he's like, all right, well, what do I have to spell? She's like, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, so if you're uh, wondering if you're going to go to heaven this, today, this is going to be a good book for to look, to look at. So we're looking at the book at Habakkuk, or... Habakkuk, or I don't know, you can, you can make up however you want to say it. Um, do you, you know what sounds nice? Is sweet embrace. You like that? Or love's embrace. Wouldn't it be great to name your kid love's embrace? Yeah, that, that's Habakkuk. So <laughs> maybe you should name your kid Habakkuk. There's only 46 people in the entire United States named Habakkuk. So it's not the popular name, so maybe you could start the trend. What do you think? Name your kid Habakkuk. Sweet Embrace. And everybody can, would uh, argue how to pronounce it. All right. Interesting. Uh, this is an interesting book. We are same historical context. If you've been following along, you know what's going on. Um, Habakkuk is a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah. Northern kingdom has already been hauled off by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom has, they have avoided the, the Assyrian sack. And God actually performed an incredible miracle, and he saved, uh, saved Jerusalem. He like, just everybody woke up and all the Assyrians were dead. Wouldn't that be nice if you woke up one day and all your enemies were gone? That's what happened. I mean, it was just like one of these really bizarre, amazing miracles. The Habakkuk's a little bit different. He is going to prophesy to the southern kingdom, yet this time, there is, there's no hope. I know, that, how does that make you feel? There's no hope on this one. Like, you know, when we, when we saw Joel and we saw Micah and Isaiah, all the other prophets that are prophesying into both the northern and the southern kingdom, it is bad things are going to happen unless you repent, unless you change your ways. So here's your chance. You have to change your ways, and I will save your land. I will redeem your nation. We will we'll start again. There's going to be lots of grace here. This is where it changes. Habakkuk does not give another way out. He does not say to the southern kingdom, repent. No, instead he says, you guys are done for. This is, this is the third strike. There is, you don't have the option to repent. It's over. The, the Babylonians are coming. And um, so, yeah, it kind of starts off negative. 
So here we go. Chapter 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Have you ever prayed this prayer? How long, God, do I have to sit here praying and you don't answer me? I've been praying about this for years, and I don't hear you. There's no solution. You're silent. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. Now, he's talking specifically about his own people. He is the ones that are being unjust, the ones that have forgotten the law, the ones that are that are being violent are the people of Judah. And Habakkuk is saying, God, would you please do something about your naughty children? Would you punish them? So he, want, he wants to see God's punishment. That is, that's Habakkuk's prayer. God, why aren't you doing anything about your rotten kids? Maybe you've said that about your neighbors. Why aren't you doing anything about your rotten kids? So the whole book of Habakkuk starts off with a major complaint. Have you ever complained to God? Does God inhabit the complainings of his people or the whinings of his people? No, but he does, or maybe, he does whatever he wants to do. But sometimes he gives you an answer. He actually gives Habakkuk an answer. Look at the nations and watch, and you will be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Isn't that cool? Maybe that's for us. I think it might be. Don't you want to be utterly amazed? Wouldn't it be amazing if God did something in our time that we couldn't even think of? I have a pretty active imagination. But God wants to do something in our time, in our own lifetime, that would shock us, that would utterly amaze us. He says it to Habakkuk, and I believe he's saying it to us. There are some really scary parallels between what's going on in Judah and what's going on in our own nation. Just, if you want to read the Bible, uh, just read Micah and Habakkuk, all these prophets, and then take a look at it. Watch the news. It's going to freak you out. God, and God goes on to say, I am raising up the Babylonians. Your Bible might say uh, the Chaldeans. They're the same people. I'm raising up the Babylonians, the ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. Down to verse 7. They are a law to themselves, and they promote their own honor. This is important. They are, they're, your, they're your typical ancient pagans, like everybody else. They have their own little cute pantheon of gods. But Babylon is a little bit different. There's a reason why you've heard the term Babylon before. There's a reason why there's like, I don't know, Star Trek has a Babylon, I don't know, branch or something. You ever heard of Babylon before? Yeah. It's because there is a, there is a, a spirit and a principality behind this new empire that is unique. 
They are not, they are not relying on their gods, even though they have their gods. They, that is not their main drive. Their main drive is what it says right here. They, they promote their own honor. They are all about themselves. The Assyrians, they set up the first empire, and their, their, whole, their whole philosophy was to rule by terror, just to gain as much wealth, to strip the wealth out of every single nation that they possibly could. The Babylonians are different because they want to rule the world under their own power. It's the first empire that actually wanted to organize around the idea of a one world order. Is that interesting to you? That is the spirit of Babylon, and uh, we, we see it in our own age. Um, down to verse 11. They sweep past like the wind, and they go on, guilty men whose strength is their God. So Marduk is not their God, or I think they would have said so. No, their strength is their God. So for the very first time, we see the emergence of secular humanism, where we rely on our own you know, ingenuity, our own abilities to pull things off. Where it's all about our honor, it's all about our own strength. We don't need God. This is what the Babylonians were beginning to see for themselves. We don't need Marduk. We don't need our little pantheon. We can be successful without our gods. And this is the principality that they're coming up against. All right, here's a, so here's Habakkuk's response to God's uh, answer. God's answer says, I'm going to do something that, that's going to be utterly amazing in your season. In your time, you couldn't possibly imagine what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Babylonians, and they are going to be my instrument for discipline. Yeah. So he's using the Babylonians to, to, to you know, to whip the Israelites into shape. Habakkuk responds like this, O Lord, are you not from everlasting to everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment? O Rock, you have ordained them to punish? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You who cannot tolerate wrong, why then do you tolerate the tre this treachery? All right, let me, let me, uh, let me uh, define this for you. What Habakkuk is saying is, God, are you kidding me? What? What, God, what is the matter with you? Why do you, I don't understand. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, I don't understand. Why would you do this? And this is, I, this is what's so amazing about the Bible. This is one of the reasons why I love it so much. Like, if I was going to create my own religion, I would not have included Habakkuk because the, God is giving him a place to question him. I mean, all other major world religions, you don't really get this opportunity to complain to God, and then they actually write it down in the Holy Scriptures. So Habakkuk says, I don't like what you're doing. I'm, I, you're, you're, you've got a bunch of naughty people, and you haven't done anything, God, so pour out your justice on the Judeans. God says, okay, I have a plan. It's gonna, I'm going to do it through the Babylonians. And then he complains again. Have you ever complained more than once to God? <laughs> God, are you kidding me? You're going to use the Babylonians? They're treacherous. 
Why don't you just do what you did at Sodom and Gomorrah and just smoke them all? Why, why do you want to give this treacherous people uh, this type of exposure, this type of glory? Why would you? That doesn't, God, that doesn't make sense. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you want me to do that? Why would you allow me to go through this pain? Doesn't make any sense, God. He gets, again, Habakkuk gets another chance initially to question God, to actually question God's ways, his deeds. That's kind of dangerous territory. Like, we don't want to develop a lifestyle of questioning God. We don't want to develop a, a, a habit of complaining towards God. It really doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't really transform us. But again, God's allowed us to go there. I think it's an amazing thing. We, we serve a God that, that's fair, that loves us enough to listen to our issues, to hear our complaints. Back it goes on to say in chapter 2, I am going to stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I put myself in a lookout tower, right? I'm going to hang out. I'm going to wait. I will look to see what he will say to me and what the answer I am to give to this complaint. So this is, this is interesting. We actually see a little bit of Habakkuk's character in his, um, his metal. Like sometimes when we're not happy with God's answers, what do we do? It's like, whatever, we take off, right? Have you ever been not happy with somebody's you know, answer to your question and you're just like, I'm out? Habakkuk doesn't do this. This is an amazing insight into his character and why he's successful, why he actually made it into the book. He says, I'm going to hang out in my tower and I'm going to wait until you explain it to me a little bit better. Isn't that interesting? And I think that it's okay. I think that it's healthy. I think this is, this is a healthy response. Because usually when we get frustrated, when it feels like as if God is not coming through for us, or we haven't, he hasn't given us the answers that we've been asking for, or he doesn't answer our prayers that we've been praying for, we take off. Like God has abandoned me. God has let me down. So therefore, why would I want to continue this dysfunctional relationship, right? We say this kind of stuff. Or at least that's, how, that's what gets manifested in our behaviors. This is how we act out our lives. You know, we, just, well, we, go, we don't go to church as much as we used to. We don't, we're not excited about engaging in God and worship. It comes out in our attitudes towards God. We actually, either we won't verbalize it, we actually think negative thoughts about God and his ways. We, Deep down inside, we don't really believe that he's good. We might say that God's good. We might have the Christianese down. But like deep down, you're just like, God has let me down. He's betrayed me. But Habakkuk doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to sit in this tower. I will be patient. I will wait on the Lord until he explains it a little bit better so that I can move on. God says, okay. The Lord replied, this is verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. 
Write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, ready? Wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. Isn't it all, don't you always get frustrated when God tells you to wait for it? <laughs> wait for it. I've been waiting, Lord. I'm in Southern California, Lord. Fast food culture, right? I want it. I want it now. Just wait for it. Here's the thing. Habakkuk gets a revelation. What was this revelation? What did he write down? I don't, we don't have it, I don't believe. But whatever this revelation was, right, we do have a, we have a bit of it, I believe. He says, you've got to take it. You have to make it concrete. I'm going... I'm going to, Habakkuk, I'm going to open up your heart so that you can understand my ways. Like this might seem completely foreign to you that I would actually use an evil empire to make my will come about. Like you see it as kind of weird, but I need you to see this, that I have complete control over the world's powers. Isn't that kind of cool? Like, we don't see that, do we? We just think that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but it's very clear in Scripture that God has control over the kings, and that is going to give us peace, and that is going to give us hope, and this is what Habakkuk is dealing with. So he gets this fresh revelation into God's heart. And this is, uh, this is part of it. He gets this insight into the Babylonian, the, the, the Chaldean Empire, this, this evil, demonic system that wants to control the world. And he says, you see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Now, he's talking about a couple of things. Because we're talking, Habakkuk is a it is a prophetic book. It's actually, it could be, some see it as an end-time prophetic book. Like some people take this, this scripture and they like, you know what, we can calculate the end of the world. I don't know about that. But we're talking not just about the Babylonians, we're talking about the principality behind the Babylonians. And he, who is quite possibly the guy in the red tights, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. So don't align yourselves with the patterns of this world. It's puffed up. It's arrogance. It's, uh, it's, it's the world's ways, not God's ways. And he says, but the righteous will live by his faith. And God continues to explain to Habakkuk, why what he's doing is so important and how he's actually going to deal with this principality, this evil that comes into world systems. He gives five woes. The first woe is, woe to him who stores up piles of stolen goods and he makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? 
So what he's saying is, woe to systems of government, woes to... A woe to the credit card company that is charging you 30%. That's what he's saying. He's going after this whole issue of usury. It's a sin. You read the fine print, and then next month they change the fine print, and no one told you. He's saying, woe to systems, woe to governments, woe to, woe to people that take advantage of the poor by inflicting them with high rates of interest. It's very specific on that. Amen, yeah. <laughs> woe to him who builds a realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. All right, can I, I'll, let me define this for you. Woe to those that avoid paying their taxes, where the rules don't apply to them, where they can just, you know, they can just, you know, they don't have to follow the rules because for some reason they feel like God has graced them to do whatever they want to do and they can literally get away with murder. Like the laws don't apply to them. They can, they can sweep stuff under the rug. They can not follow the rules. They expect everybody else to follow the rules like everyday normal people, but because they have the power, because they have the wealth, they're not obligated to follow the rules. And God is saying to them, woe to those that don't live by the standards that everybody else has to follow. <laughs> you didn't have to admit that, Teresa. I wouldn't have known. Woe to those whose cell phones go off in church. <laughs> All right. Woe to them who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Uh, we have cities in our nation that have been established by gangsters. Woe. Yeah. Woe to him who gives to drink, gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that they can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. So it is woe to the society or the culture that promotes drunkenness. Our drunkenness is a lot different than their drunkenness because we have perfected drunkenness in our culture. Right? You can get drunk on any type of liquor you could possibly think of, but you can also get drunk on anything that you could possibly smoke or shoot up your arm. And our culture is becoming more and more okay with it. Like, I don't know, it's just not a big deal to get drunk nowadays, is it? And it's becoming more and more acceptable to be okay to get high nowadays. God's saying, woe to cultures that do this. And then, of course, finally, woe to him who says to, to wood, this is verse 19, says to the wooden object, come to life. And then, of course, he's talking about idolatry. And you're thinking, well, pastor, I don't worship any wooden objects. 
But do we have idolatry in our culture? Yeah. We do. Quite a bit of it. I mean, again, we don't, we don't say, we don't think that an object has power, or do we? How much energy do we spend on our objects? How much, I mean, is it the car? Is it the boat? Is it the phone? Is, what is it? What is taking more of our time and our affection and our love? What is competing with God's love? What is it? Is it money? Is money our idol? Is, is, is pleasure the idol? Is conquering the idol? Is, what is it? What, what's our idol? Like, I, this isn't a guilt thing. This is just, let's just be honest with ourselves. We have in place in our society idols that are, in, that are competing with God's love. And what do we know about God? He is a jealous God. And that's a good thing. You might think that that's a petty emotion. It's not. I want, I want to serve a God that, is, that, that wants my attention, that wants my love, that, that wants my affection. I don't want him to be flippant about, you know, oh, you're going you're gonna to go to Vegas? I don't care. You know, you're going to... You know, you're going to think that you're, you know, you're, the antique that you bought is more important than me. I don't care, right? No, God's not like that. Now, this is amazing. Because Habakkuk, through this revelation, and through him actually getting his, his I don't know, is this, a, is this an acceptable answer to everybody? Maybe not, right? Well, there's still an evil empire that's going to come in and it's going to be God's rod for judgment. I don't like that because I thought God was good. I thought he was a happy guy. I thought he was, you know, he's, he's out to bless me and not, 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 not get me. So is this acceptable for everybody? There's something else going on here and we, we missed it. There's something very deep that's going on here that's, uh, that, is, that is revolutionary. That is, that is, it is the very cornerstone of our Christian theology, and it was there, and we missed it for a second. But, but you're going to see Habakkuk's heart completely change. How did, he start off, how did he start off his book? He starts off his book by complaining, and it's a very negative start. But oh my gosh. It's, it ends with just a, a huge amount of glory, of, 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 of positiveness. Is that a word, positiveness? Is that a word? No, it's not. Sorry. Positivity. And he does it in a song. Chapter 1, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, uh, a shignot. That's like a song, I guess. I don't know. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And that's a big change from the introduction of this chapter of this book, right? I stand in awe of your deeds. When he started off his book, he questioned God's deeds, right? And now he's in awe of God's deeds. So now this whole Babylonian thing, for some reason, it is making sense in his heart. I get it, Lord. I'm in awe of your deeds. You are right. Uh, I am completely blown away. You have done an amazing thing. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. This is different. This is almost like a different guy. How did he start off his book? God, 
smoke these kids, right? God, let's do that Sodom and Gomorrah thing again. That was cool. I'm going to buy tickets to that. I want to watch it. I really want to see you punish people. That's the, that's the condition of his heart, right? God, why aren't you doing anything? I want to see you punish naughty people. Have you ever felt like this? Like deep down inside, you want other people to get it? Right? Have you ever felt like this? Or is it just me? I got, I got a couple people raising their hands. Yes, thank you. There, I have a, a few honest people. Like deep down inside, that you're like that coworker that you're competing with, you want them to trip and fall, right? Or you want them to get written up, you know? Like the only way that you're going to get ahead is unless you kick somebody and they fall down. Yeah. That's how he starts off, but now it's different. Now, after his revelation, after God has expanded his heart, now he says, oh man, make them know in wrath, remember mercy. God, make them know what I know now. And, and in wrath, show mercy. So these people that have been driving him nuts, he wants them to experience God's mercy. And that's a change of heart. His glory covers the heavens and his praise fills the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. I like that. His power is hidden in his hands. Rays flashed from his hands. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and he made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. And down to the first 13. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. Uh, who's the anointed one? What do you think? Could be Jesus, could be us, I don't know. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. Again, we were returning to this evil principality, this, this world system government. A system of government that does not need God. The idea that you can be good, that you can be successful, that you can prosper, that you can be blessed without God is this right here. You crushed the head of the leader of the land of wickedness and you stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. Um, the rest of this chapter, just so you know, it is a quick survey of Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. So if you want to study it a little bit more, uh, read the rest of chapter 3, or read the beginning to the end, and just keep in mind, just remember the stories of Abraham, remember the story of Moses, remember the story of Joshua, and you're going to see all of that fleshed out here in this song, in the poem. It's cool. Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. You ever felt like that in God's presence? This is what's going on. He's having a religious experience. Have you ever had a religious experience? Scare the pants off you. It's terrifying. You get up in God's presence and your, your bones are going to shake and your lips are going to quiver. 
And it hurts. It hurts your bones. It hurts so bad, yet it feels so good. It's because God's touching you. Being touched by a holy God, it is enlightening and terrifying. <laughs> it's an experience. And I think everybody should have this experience. So that's my prayer for you guys. Sorry. <laughs> Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Here we go. You ready? Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail, and the fields do not produce no food, there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle are in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God, my Savior. Okay, let me define this for you. Let me translate this, this verse for you. Um, although I got fired and my 401k just got dried up, there are no dollar bills in my pen. Everything in my life is falling apart. It seems based on my circumstances, that I have no hope. Yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God, my Savior. How does he do this? How does somebody that actually que that, that questions God's involvement and then questions God's deeds, how does, he, how does his heart get changed from that to this, no matter what the circumstances are, he chooses to be happy. How do you do this? How do, you do, how, how do we build ourselves up to the point that no matter what happens, no, it doesn't dictate, my circumstances don't dictate my feelings or my joy or my hope? Because usually, isn't it the other way around? When bad things happen, I feel bad. When things don't go my way, I, 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 you know, I, I'm discouraged. When I'm broke, I'm depressed, right? Isn't that how life goes? Now, are you ready? He chose to be happy in light of a lot of bad things that are going to come down. He knows that the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to take everything away from them and they're going to put everybody in slavery, yet he chooses, chooses, chooses to be happy despite his circumstances. This is the reason why Habakkuk made it into the holy book. But it's even deeper than that. How did he do it? Like I'm asking this question, we don't know how, do we? Look, there's a, there's a key and we skipped it. It's back in chapter 2. Talks about the puffed up evil one, right? The, the arrogance of the world system that says, I can be good, I can be successful without God. But what is the response? What is the counter to that? What, it, what, is, the, what is the hope for us, the believer? What is this one thing that has completely changed the way that we do our, our faith, our Christian life? The very cornerstone of our Christian theology is right here. It is the very first time that it has been written down in our Holy Scriptures. 
God, has, God gave Habakkuk one heck of a revelation. He gave him a New Testament gospel revelation. It's ginormous, and it's right here. But the righteous, could be the just in your book, the righteous or the just, they will live by their faith. That's the best news on the planet. The righteous and the justice and the just will live by their faith. That is, maybe it's not sinking in, but it needs to because it is, it's huge. Uh, Paul saw it this way. Paul quotes Habakkuk 2. It says, For the gospel reveals the righteousness of God that comes forth by faith from start to finish. God has began a good work in you, and from start to finish, it requires faith. Nothing else. The, the, the good work that God started in you, it can't be accomplished by your own power and your own will, your own abilities, your own drive. No, it can't be done that way. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Galatians says it this way. And it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. What's he saying? He's saying you, we, I, I can't earn my way into God's good graces. I can't spell my way into heaven. Even if I could spell Czechoslovakia, Hey, do you know why, um, you know why uh, Polish last names start, uh, they end with ski, Kapczynski? You know why? Because we can't spell toboggan. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, so the law, you can't, <laughs> you can't get there by the law. Uh, and the, this is probably one of the hugest traps that we fall into as Christians. We, it takes faith to step across the line of faith, right? You have to, do, you have to like, all right, I don't see God. Uh, I mean, I know I, I maybe Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, but you know, I can't prove that he did. Everybody's arguing that he did, that he lived. I, we don't know. So I'm going to have to actually take a step across this line. I'm going to have to believe in an invisible God that created the universe, that loves me, despite all my other experiences that I've experienced in school and whatnot. Uh, I'm going to take that leap of faith and I'm going to believe in God and we cross that line of faith and usually we stop our faith walk right there and then we move into the areas of law. Okay, now I have to be a good Christian. Now I have to abide by the law, by the rules so that I can begin to mature my life. And what God is telling Habakkuk, the just shall live by their faith. So uh, our, our faith is more important than our following the rules. The just shall live by faith, not by a moral code. Isn't that? Guess who wrote the moral code, by the way? The, the Babylonians, Hammurabi's code. Hebrews 10, 3, 38. 
but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I'll take no pleasure in him. That's interesting, huh? So we step across that line of faith, but we do not do anything to, to strengthen our faith, to increase our faith, to actually receive the gift of faith. It's a gift of faith. You step across that line of faith, but you can actually increase in faith. And it's a gift of faith. Philippians 1, 29 says, For he has graciously granted to you the privilege not, of, not only of believing in Christ, so he's granted to you the privilege of believing, he's given you this gift of faith, but also the gift of suffering as well. No one likes that. Just forget I said that. So don't throw away your confidence. I think this is part of the problem that we have as, as, as believers. We've thrown away our confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to preserve, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. Does that sound familiar? It's Habakkuk. And but my righteousness will live by faith. I take no pleasure in anyone who shrinks back, falls away, gives up on faith. What is, uh, what is righteousness? What is justification? What, what is this? What, I don't, you know, I don't, the just shall live by faith? What does that mean? What is, what is just? What is righteousness? All right. Let me define what just is, and then we'll close. When you have stepping across that line of faith, everything changes. Become that new creation. And you ready? You have been justified. You have received, you have received God's righteousness, not ours. When you step across that line of faith, you should, and maybe we don't get this, because again, we, we move into work mode, we move into to, to code and moral laws and whatever, but we should, when we step across that line of faith, we should say, all right, it, I'm, I can't do this on my own. I'm giving you all of my baggage. And God justifies us. And he gives us his righteousness so that we can enter into God's presence. Remember Habakkuk said, Lord, you cannot look upon evil? That's true. Like when we go into God's presence, like he cannot look upon evil. So if we're there and if we've got evil in us, he can't see us. He can't look upon us. We are repulsive to him because we've got sin in us. So the solution is his son, Jesus, who became our sin. And we have been justified, and it's as if, it's just as if all those horrible things that we've done in the past, as if they never happened. And so when we go into God's presence, uh, let's say you didn't step across that line of faith, and you, you die, and you're going to have to be judged. He is going to look at your whole entire life, and how many people want this? He's going to judge everything that you've done wrong. From when you were 13, the first time you committed a sin, right? Or maybe it was, I don't know, maybe it was younger than that. How many people got a house full of little sinners? 
They're like four and five years old, a bunch of little sinners in your house, right? He's going to take that whole thing and he's going to put it on a scale. He's going to weigh all of your naughtiness with all of your goodness. And guess what? You're going to fall short and you're not going to make it into God's presence. Now, if you step across that line of faith and you, if you say, God, I'm justified. It's as if my sins have never taken place. And you enter into God's presence and he's going to, he's going to judge you and he's going to say, uh, you didn't do anything wrong. And you're like, what are you kidding me, God? I did all kinds of naughty stuff. I was like, I don't see it. It's just as if it never happened, right? So where, do, where does our sin reside? If God has completely forgotten about all the naughty things that we have done because we have been justified, all of that sin got, got put onto Jesus, all of it. So the only place our past sins reside are in our minds. The guilt, the shame, the fear, the anxieties, that all resides in our minds and that's the only place that it that exists. Because God doesn't see it anymore. Because it has been literally blotted out of his existence with the, with the exception of what's between our ears. Isn't that amazing? Do you see why Habakkuk tapped into something that, frankly, no other Old Testament prophet saw? The just shall live by faith. When you live by faith, when you walk by faith, you are doing it in God's power and not your own. It's the best news that's ever been, that's ever been given. The just shall live by faith. Now, what's cool about, again, what's cool about Habakkuk, it ends with a song. All of this really cool, positive, energetic stuff, it comes through in music. For the director of music from John Stratton, who plays stringed instruments. Come on, get up here. We're going to close. Because the just shall live by faith, because I have been justified in God's presence, because he doesn't see my past sins, because... He controls this world, this present evil age. He's not freaking out about the election. That's us. Because of this, we get to say, hopefully, we can say, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go on the heights. That's his plan for all of us, is that we just rise above. We rise above all the static, all the neg negativity. We make, we get all this, you know, the Babylonians are coming, the IRS is coming, you know. All these bad things are happening to me. Well, his desire is for us to get all this stuff out, all this negativity out of our hearts so that he can expand our hearts to have more of this positive glory in there. Isn't that cool? So I, my, my prayer for you this morning is that we be transformed like Habakkuk. You're coming into God's presence with questions and concerns. You're wondering where he's at. You're questioning the way that he does things. I would just say, walk by faith. Those that are justified, they live by faith. 
So just ask God right now, God, increase my faith muscle. Give me that gift of faith so that I can sing like this. I forgot to have the ushers to come to the front. We're just going to give back to the Lord right now. It's an expression of worship. And would you stand with me? Holy Spirit, once again, we say, come and fill this place. I pray right now that you would just increase our faith. Despite what our circumstances are, despite the situations in our world, that we can just put our faith and we can put our trust in you, that we can be like Habakkuk, saying, you know, there's no sheep in the pen, yet I'm going to love you regardless. We can be like Job, who goes even as far as to say, though you slay me, yet I put my trust and hope in you. And God, we thank you so much that you want to go into a relationship where you actually make room for us to talk to you, to question, to bring our concerns and our pains to you. Thank you so much that you answer our prayers. Pray you bless this offering in your name. Amen.